0: future of work is a key topic in the world today. Dr. Niharika Guru, from your work on organizational behavior, can you share a particularly striking example of how the future of work will transform our lives?
1: Yeah, I can, I can share an example, Jeff. So uh, imagine how the technologies are playing a bigger and bigger role at the kind of work that we do and in our organizations, ranging from the monitoring systems to employee evaluation systems to also how we collaborate between our teams and between our external partners. So technology is going to play a very important role in reshaping our work over and over again in the next few years, and it's going to be an exciting play field.
0: And future of work is what we'll be exploring in today's conversation. Welcome to the Knowledge Institute podcast, where we talk with thought leaders on business trends, deconstruct main ideas, and share their insights. I'm Jeff Cavanaugh, head of the Infosys Knowledge Institute, and today, we're here with Professor Niharika Garud. Niharika is a faculty member in the Department of Management and Marketing at the Faculty of Business and Economics at the University of Melbourne. Niharika's formal training includes a PhD in Management, Master's, and Bachelor's degree in Electrical Engineering, along with Doctoral Research Fellowship at Harvard University and Business School. Niharika is probably best known for her extensive experience in research and consulting and tech and innovation, operations management, and organizational behavior. More recently, Niharika has advised a number of Fortune 500 firms to improve their innovation processes and increase management productivity. One of our current research projects is the future of work across industries in collaboration with the Infosys Knowledge Institute. Niharika, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks, Jeff, for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you today regarding this topic.
0: Well, let's explore for a moment how you got to be where you are. You're here in Melbourne. How did you get to this beautiful university?
1: It's a long journey that I can summarize in two lines, perhaps. I used to work as an electrical engineer in a Fortune 500 company called Micron Technology in the US, in Northern Virginia, where I used to work in R&D teams. I used to also work on the frontline semiconductor manufacturing. And from there, my interest developed in understanding management science more closely, which is where I decided to do my PhD. So I... Completed my Ph.D. from the Indian Institute of Management in Bangalore, which is in the heart of the IT industry uh, in India. And once I graduated from there, I worked in a couple of business schools before moving to the University of Minnesota at the Carlton School of Management and finally to Melbourne about two years ago. What attracted me to Melbourne was how diverse and arty the city is. It's pretty much like an art gallery if you go to different parts of the city where everything is colorful and painted uh, tastefully by experienced artists and the city is so diverse and incredibly inclusive.
0: How does that art and inclusive factor play into your work organization or behavior?
1: It basically keeps, uh, keeps the perspective in place that different kinds of people um, give different kinds of outcomes at workplaces and that's why the management of these inclusive groups needs to be much more complicated than a simple policy that you can dictate on everybody. And diversity and inclusion is becoming a very important issue, especially when we are looking at technology adoption and reshaping work itself in the organizations. So I think it's important to understand that people are fundamentally very different from each other, although there are bigger groups of behaviors that we can understand and apply to our managerial decisions.
0: How will technology impact the future of work, especially the tech industry?
1: I think technology would play an even bigger role in reshaping the fundamental nature of work that we conduct on a daily basis. The technologies, including the cloud computing and the big data, which is already into place, is going to play a larger role in everyday work. So it's going to change the way we collaborate with people, it's going to change the way people are evaluated at work. It's going to also change the way managers are making decisions, especially executive decisions around uh, work itself, client management, people management, and so forth. So it's going to fundamentally reshape the nature of the work itself for both the frontline employees as well as for managers and and leaders.
0: Do you see any emerging technologies or or software that will be significant in the next three or four years?
1: So there are a group of multiple technologies that are going to lead the way. Cloud computing being one, data, interpretation, analysis, and analytics is going to be the other one, and automation is also going to play a bigger role in the next few years. At least that's what I see in terms of the trends.
0: Moving from tech to the people, what are the most important leadership and soft skills required for professionals going forward?
1: I think in the next few years, it would be increasingly important for leaders, managers, as well as uh, employees at all levels to understand data and interpret the data to apply to their decision-making. That's going to be the key in terms of how they use technology and how they use the new you know, systems and improve their own decision-making processes. Now that can range from you know, the everyday, daily, short-term decisions that they are making about work itself or the project itself as well as the long-term organizational decisions that they are going to make. So data interpretation analysis is going to be a key skill that they need to work on, which also leads to the second skill which is required, which is the complex problem solving and looking at complicated sets of data and making sense of what's the logic behind these data sets in terms of how do we bring them together and effectively understand them.
0: Seems a lot to take on if you're an employee, especially with your their day jobs. What should organizations and leaders do to support these employees?
1: I think it is essential for organizations to focus on the long-term perspective, which is to understand that the market changes pretty frequently. And if the technologies and the automation systems are going to increasingly change the way the market operates, we have to look at managers and leaders and we have to encourage them to encourage their employees to continuously learn at job and not just continuously learn in terms of traditional settings in project learning or on-job learning, but also encourage them to look at a diversity of different skills that they can explore. So even if the employees and the leaders in an organization are emphasizing on learning and on topics that are of interest to employees, that would be good in the long run because the employees become interested in the kind of work that they are doing currently, but also they start to learn skills which might be helpful after a few years. So it's not just about currently right now, this quarter, this fiscal year. It's about the next 10 years, next 15 years, if we are to survive this digitization era.
0: How can employees motivate and prepare themselves to adopt this lifelong learning?
1: I think employees, and especially the people on the ground, are increasingly aware of the fact that the nature of the jobs are changing. the work is not the same traditional work that they imagined ten years ago. And when the nature of the job changes, what it requires you to do is to be able to embrace the changes and to be able to quickly learn and move on to the next phase with the you know with the era. I can give you a very crude example from the banking systems around the world when the computers came in and when these banks have to fundamentally change the way they do their business on a daily basis. The officials in the banks, as well as you know, the people, the tellers and the frontline people who were embracing these systems, they need to be prepared for you know, the new sets of things that they're supposed to do in order to complete their job on a, on a daily basis. So imagine a teller who has who has no experience in computers, who has no inclination to learn new systems, but is told to do so in the next few months and to embrace the new system. So I would argue that it's always better to be prepared rather than to be told to do something quickly. And to be prepared is to keep an open mind that I'm open to learn new kinds of skills that will make me more effective at my current job. So nobody is going to take away your job if you are not just good at it, but also embracing any kind of change or any kind of uncertainty that's going to come your way. So that's the idea that you have to be good at your job in terms of your current performance, but also embrace the chaos that's going to come your way
0: in the next five years. It reminds me, um, my wife is doing some some work at a, at a boutique retailer, they only new point of sale system in, and no training was given. And the revolt that happened, you know yeah. and, and, and it's, it's amazing the lack of productivity that happens, and things that just slip on the cracks, yeah that's how employees can motivate themselves. What about this idea of retention though, and trust, because employees want all this, of course, employers are thinking all oh, these people are going to stick around so so what, what does your research tell you about retention and trust and that, that that social contract between employers and employees?
1: Well, as we figure things out, on our own in terms of what's happening in our industry. Remember, the leaders and the managers are also individuals who might know the industry more closely, but they're also trying to figure things out on their own. Uh, And they're trying to make sense of what's going to happen with their organizations in the next few years, and how do they restructure the entire organization and divisions with hundreds and thousands of people. So they are also thinking as we go. Now, we might be thinking about them as the ultimate problem solver, but they might need ideas and assistance from the ground, from the people who actually work with the clients to be able to better understand what changes they can anticipate. So if I am to say that the leaders and managers already know it all, they don't. So it would be good for leaders and managers to focus on balancing the role of automation and digitization with the current structures of their organizations. Because any kind of rapidly made, half-baked ideas can result in massive chaos in their organizations, especially when they employ hundreds and thousands of people.
0: Once again, you're listening to the Knowledge Institute, where we talk with experts on business trends, deconstruct main ideas, and share their insights. We are here with Professor Garud, University of Melbourne expert in the future of work, now, Harika, if we can talk now about maybe the rows and columns of this, what KPIs are needed to measure the quality of work at an organizational individual level in the future?
1: So beyond the obvious matrix, which is currently the go-to standard in the industry, which is the task performance, how effective and how good you are in your task, there's always a possibility to look at the same task performance beyond just the objective Daily performance or annual performance, and look at it in terms of more open ended and, and, and learning orientation, and say that we are also measuring you on a bunch of other metrics which are important to our organization in the long term perspective, like what I mentioned earlier. So, being able to perform collaborative work with different kinds of teams is important, and it's increasingly going to be important to work with different skill sets as well. So are you able to effectively work and collaborate and actually conduct your tasks with different kinds of people is becoming important. So any kind of matrix which we are focusing on, that would be important to measure. The second thing that we need to also measure is, are you being innovative at work in terms of doing the same task on a daily basis in the long run is important, but it's the process. It's the refinement of your expertise over a period of time. Are you becoming better? Are you reinventing different processes for your own work in in order to be a very prolific performer in that particular category? So it's important to tell employees through key metrics that they are also being monitored or they're also being evaluated and they are also encouraged to work on innovation in their own work, to be able to think more critically and improve themselves, to be able to give feedback to themselves and to evaluate their own work and see what are the rooms for improvement. Now, those are the kind of things that earlier you would imagine only managers uh, to conduct. But I would argue that it's actually the employees who need to be on the learning side of things and who need to be able to say, if they are able to critically look at their work and see where are the rooms for improvement and accordingly tailor their work around it. So it's almost like the argument about job crafting. It works really good if individuals are allowed to craft their own path in the organizations and see what works best for them. So just to give you a crude example, working from home does not work well for many people while a bigger group would say working from home gives you flexibility and other kinds of outcomes. Now, again, I won't say working from home is best for everybody, as you can see from the data and multiple studies that have been conducted of this area. So you should be able to say to the employees that we want you to craft your own path and we want you to evaluate yourself and see what works best for you. Because the idea is that when you succeed in the long run, when you become better in the long run, it helps everybody, including your team, including the organization. So again, the learning perspective comes into the place that we need to learn and continuously change and evolve in order to be successful. And that would be the key to adoption of this new era of digitization and basically looking at how technology might fundamentally change the way I'm conducting my job.
0: And in an earlier discussion, you'd mentioned that these things depend upon the task type as well as the personality type.
1: Right, so it depends on the kind of work that you are doing as well as the kind of people you're dealing with here. So I gave you an earlier example in one of our conversations where interruptions and switching costs between different kinds of tasks at a job might be different for different kinds of people. So imagine a scientist who is conducting scientific research in their laboratory where they're isolated and often working on materials on their own. When those kinds of people get social interaction or interruptions from their colleagues, a lot of times they embrace those interruptions as a welcome change or a welcome break from their monotonous experiments. And a lot of times when we encourage those employees to look at these opportunities as creative idea generation movements, then you might see a different kind of work pattern evolving where people actually look forward to these interruptions and they take a creative break their work, the in-depth research work, and they come back to the work with new energy and new, new ideas. So it really depends on the kind of people and the kind of jobs that they're working on. And by the job, I mean the different kinds of multiple tasks that you're supposed to perform. So even as an engineer, you're supposed to perform different kinds of roles in your organization, including the paperwork, the admin work, the service, the management of your team, the client management, the project management itself answering emails is a part of the job. So I would argue that it's essential to look at the kind of tasks that you're trying to deliver and the switching between them.
0: Well, speaking of managers, what will be the role of frontline managers when all this automation hits in the workplace in the future?
1: So the managers and the leaders, like I earlier said, they not only need to be very aware that there's plenty of data now in the organizations which can help them in their decision-making, which can help them in their problem-solving processes, So the managers and the leaders need to be, of course, very quick in terms of embracing those um, data sets, analysis, and to be able to interpret on their own. Because it's one thing that somebody else uh, connects the data for you and presents the analysis for you, while it's another thing where you understand the fundamentals behind that model, the assumptions that go behind a particular piece of analysis. And so it's very important for leaders and managers to understand the fundamentals and the foundations of that analysis and to be able to question those assumptions because the managers and the leaders know that some of those assumptions do not apply to their particular decision context. Now, so that's one part of how they can prepare themselves. The other part is they need to be also aware whether these kinds of data-driven decision-making or automation-driven decision-making would work on their teams or not. Because it's one thing that you make the most rational decision ever possible, depending on the evidence you were given, and you applying that decision on your division. So it's very important to understand whether this kind of automation or evaluation of employees using automation systems is going to work well with your employees. And there's interesting work happening in this particular area in terms of research studies, but not enough has been done. So this is a big gap. We don't know how people respond when they are monitored by robots, for example, or when they get feedback from an automated system. We don't understand how they react and process that feedback. So that's an area of research that I'm very interested in as well.
0: What's one thing that most companies get wrong when they think about the future of work?
1: I think the future of work itself is an idea that scares people because people think about thousands of robots coming for them. And the idea that automation is going to replace us and is going to take over the world is so set in a lot of people's minds that people look at that as the overall, you know, overall future work. But the picture of future work is very complicated. It's it's about automation, but it's also about the role of people engaging with those technologies. It's also about our organizations being able to work with technology, with markets and with external partners to be able to balance everything out. So the future of work is a very complex issue when we talk about from a, from a scientific perspective, there are multiple questions that we don't know answers to and which would be good to work on. But on the other side, the industry is already seeing some of that automation and dis- digitization era taking over parts of their businesses. So for example, the mining industry is looking at a very different kinds of, systems coming in because now the mining industry is also facing different kinds of flashback uh, from the community from the local community from the environment perspective so how can digitization and technologies help us in becoming more sustainable that's the key question for mining and that could be something which could shape their future so the future of work it's a very complex picture depending on who do you talk to in the industry it would look very different to different people
0: what is your message to technology professionals or any professional out there that's listening to help them prepare for the future?
1: I think the key message would be to keep an open mind as they have so far and to continue to focus on technology as a tool which can help us in doing better at work, doing better personally, doing better in terms of our learning and look at it just as a tool not necessarily as your own replacement uh, in terms of the human element and the critical thinking aspect that you bring to work, because that's something that is is not going to be replaceable. So I would say that for the technology professionals and tech experts out there, it would be essential to look forward to future in terms of technology being a tool, but not necessarily being the key solution to everything.
0: Who, what's been a major influence on you, your career?
1: Well, I've been listening to Daniel Kahneman, uh, again, his ebook on thinking fast and slow. I've read that book multiple times and I read it again and again whenever I get a chance to get more inspired about, you know, the kind of interesting research that happens across the world, be it medicine, be it military or in business domain. He's just one of the people who has inspired me and there are so many others who have inspired me to conduct the kind of work that I do today. But yeah, he's he's right now in my head because I've been listening to him.
0: How can people find you? The
1: best way to reach out would be just drop me an email. It's on the University of Melbourne website. You can type in my name mm-hmm. and it pops up. Um, you can drop me an email and I am always on my email. And that's something that is a strength, not a weakness. <laughs> I respond fairly quickly. And if you need a quick piece of you know, conversation on something related to the topic or on something else that you think might be relevant to us, then that that's something that I always like to get into. And any kind of friendly conversations about what you see or if you disagree on some of the things that I've said, I would be very interested to hear that because that might help me in changing my opinion.
0: And your research.
1: And my research as well, yes. It
0: might shape my research as well. You can find details on our show notes and transcripts at infosys.com slash IKI. That's infosys.com scom forward slash I-K-I in our podcast section. Eureka, thank you so much for your time and a highly interesting discussion. And everyone, you've been listening to the Knowledge Institute, where we talk with experts on business trends, deconstruct main ideas, and share their insights. Thanks to our producer, Catherine Burdett, and the entire Knowledge Institute team. And until next time, keep learning and keep sharing.